Weir's World, the All Ears podcast, in association with Hoppy's Dry Suit Services, keeping you dry in the wet stuff. For more information, search Hoppy's Dry Suit Services on Facebook. Welcome to Weir's World, the All Ears podcast, which will take you on a roller coaster journey around the world. Follow me from Beijing to New York City and back as I share my tales to tell, encompassing the 10 years of Gliadric and the Kabbalistic Cavalry, as well as touring with some well known faces. From celebrity stories to travel nightmares, We'll be reminiscing on the ridiculousness of it all, with special guests jumping in along the way. All Ears is your new favourite weekly podcast. Hey Ali, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I am grand, absolutely smashing. Lay out here on my sofa. I know, the the podcast masses can't see you, but I think uh, you're very, very relaxed, we should say. I mean, I'm in the finest of company. Why shouldn't I be relaxed? Let's be I mean, honest. You are a laid-back guy. Let's not lie here, though. A lot of people would not describe me as being laid-back. Mm, that is a good point. I have my moments. <clears throat> how was um? How was your haggis? Um, it was good. Yeah. I. You know what? I don't really have haggis throughout the year much up until Burns Night, and then it's like obviously you celebrate the wild haggis. So you go out into the field and you catch it and you cook it and all that, and it's brilliant. How was your haggis? Cracking. Love a good haggis. Nothing better than a right, good, rich plate of haggis. Neeps and tatties. Yep. It's, uh, it's the business. Have you put in your en- entry for the Moose Dropping Festival yet? I have. I'm not sure how successful it's going to be because yeah. I've, I'm not experienced in it at all. I've never done it in my life. Um, Are you mad keen for it now that we know about it? Personally, I am more open to putting in my entry for the World Puddle, Dump- Puddle Jumping Championships, but I'm open to the notion of the the, the moose drop in championships. You never know. Do you know what I, I I'm I'm lying here all chilled out here. Do you know what I you know what I did this week? What? This week, for the very first time, I watched Fifty Shades of Grey. Have you seen it? <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I have seen it. Yeah. What's what is your review of Fifty Shades of Grey? Have you well, firstly, have you only watched the first one or have you watched all three? I have watched two. So I watched the first one enjoyed it but it wasn't quite what i was thinking i thought it was good i thought i actually thought it was going to be a bit more visual than it was actually like if, the, if that could be a thing and then i watched the second one quite enjoyed it as a film uh, and i'm yet to watch the third one have you seen all three i have seen all three um for me i know this is not the whole point of the film but the acting is quite terrible the acting isn't good um but again i know that's really not the point of the film like i know when the books came out they probably weren't buying the boots for the words, shall we say? Well, maybe they were. There is that. Do you do you fancy yourself as a bit of a Christian Grey like? Do you think you'd be a better actor? Uh, well, don't have his money, that's for sure. Because if I had his money, I would not be on a podcast right now. I mean, people like Prince Harry. He's got his podcast now. He's got plenty that's of dollar. True. Although I think Christian Grey would do an entirely different podcast. We would not be talking about the same things. What would? What would Christian Grey talk about in his podcast? What do you think would be his key? Can, can we talk about that? Can we? Potentially not. This is Potentially. a family show. We have been talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, but we're gonna we're gonna bring on one of my good, or two of my good friends actually. Mm. And between us, we absolutely can talk Fifty Shades of <laughs> Right, that, that is a fact. Chris and Mags have been friends of mine for the last few years. They are. They've been co-writers, tour managers, you name it, they've done it for me over the last few years, so felt that they'd be excellent for the podcast. Chris and Mags, how are you? Good, good. We're great. We're sitting looking at you on a screen and you look like a reclining Buddha. And Ali's <laughs> sitting there looking perky and 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and you look very chillaxed. <laughs> so you guys are are um, currently in Ontario, yeah, just for the people listening. Yeah. yeah, we're halfway between Ottawa and Montreal, right in the... Um, out in the wilderness and the and farm country, just us and fields and cows and coyotes. Very nice. I have heard the howl of those coyotes on on occasion as well. Normally, when it's like four o'clock and we're rolling into bed, uh, they got close on New Year's on Hogmanay. I should say Hogmanay New Year's Eve. Yeah, they were they were just out in the the full moon howling away. We figured that they were celebrating the new year coming in. And then we heard a couple of gunshots. Yeah. So we figured the farmers heard them too. Fair play. Was was Christmas all right for you guys? Did you have a nice time? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was intimate. Yeah, it's always yeah. intimate. We've got a small family, so it's uh, and we're uh, we're semi under lockdown, not as not as heavily as uh, the UK, but um, we're getting there. Yeah. Come this weekend, I think we'll be going back into lockdown. So yeah. So for the people listening, this is we're obviously releasing this on the. The 1st of February, but we're here on the 5th of January uh, at present. Ali checking the date as we speak. Double checking, double checking, yeah. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> I know that you guys have been listening a lot to the to the podcast, avid fans. And actually, we have at present 5% of our listenership is in, is in Canada. Who knows which part? We, um, we probably know them all. <laughs> probably do. There's two of, them, two of them in the kitchen. <laughs> and so our... I guess our relationship, our journey goes back to 2016 initially, yeah. And I know we've spoken a lot on this podcast about New York Tartan Week, but it's another sort of, it's another thing that's cropped up as another connection, I guess, that was made at New York Tartan Week. And if you've, if anyone's listened to the awards and apologies episode, uh, number two, obviously, then you'll have heard how Chris and I met. Chris, do you want to share your memory of that fateful evening at the urinal? Urinal. <laughs> <laughs> well, please. listen to the other podcast. <laughs> well, I do, but I just, I just want to give you a quick retrospective as to how come I was standing at that urinal yeah. next to you, and it, it, it starts with a knock knock joke. Knock knock. <laughs> Who's there? Doctor. Doctor. <laughs> Exactly. This is the whole. <laughs> this is the whole point of it. Was that I, I'm really into we what? We make ifs. the jokes on this podcast. They don't come on to be funnier than us. No, you know? it, it came out of a cracker. <laughs> Christmas night. Anyway, the whole point is, I'm into what ifs, right? If there hadn't been a Doctor Who, if Diana Gabaldon hadn't written the Outlander series, if Sam Hewen hadn't gone into play, you know the uh, Jamie. Jamie, Jamie Fraser in the series, then Maggie wouldn't have lusted over him, right? That's right. And so then we wouldn't have ended up finding out that he was going to be the Grand Marshal on Tartan Week, and I wouldn't have insisted on going down for my birthday, which happens to be April 6th, which is International Tartan Day, or, and the, and the Declaration de of Our Growth. And then Chris wouldn't, we wouldn't have ended up seeing a bagpiper in the park and thinking he looks like he knows what he's up to. <laughs> Let's <laughs> I look like him. Knew what <laughs> <laughs> Let's stalk him. And we get to New York and we find, oh, there's something at the cutting room. 
which is one of the ones that you spoke about a few podcasts ago. Yeah. So we said, let's go to the, the cutting room and see the Highland Divas. They sound like they, they've got a good write-up here. We knew nothing about them at the time. I went down to the, to the washroom to uh, relieve oh, myself, I guess, and found <laughs> myself in the urinal next to your <laughs> urinal. <laughs> and, and I said, well, hold on. This guy must know something. And sure enough, you were playing that night. And um, I guess the rest is history because Maggie said, this guy knows stuff. We'll just follow well, him around. You were everywhere. You were everywhere in your blue um, kilt. And so you yeah. stood World out. Pattern. Yeah. World peace Against time. the gloom of uh, New York, you stood out and you always had your bagpipe bag. And so you were very, you know, we'd say, oh, there he is. <laughs> Because nobody knew what was going on. It's a bit, it's like yeah. the best kept secret, Tartan Week. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's like. So we stalked you basically from gig to gig to gig to gig. Yeah, well, <laughs> my, my first time in New York, as we've spoken about on one of the previous episodes, was 2015. And 2016 was my, was my second year there. And because I didn't really know how many times I'd end up there or what my relationship would be with New York or whatnot, I was at that point trying to literally cram in as many exciting things as I possibly could. I make a habit of doing that. Genuinely, I'd, obviously we got on great down at, we got on great down at the urinal, it has to be said. But from there on, it was like, they're at this gig as well. They're at this, they're at this one, they're at that one. Like they were literally stalking me, right? It's, it, was, it was a bit crazy. Um, but well, you'd say some- Creepy, my, I think my, it's creepy. My, <laughs> creepy, but you'd say, so, so, so what's your next gig? And you say, oh God, I gotta go down this place called the Beer Authority. On eleventh and forty uh, fourth. So we googled it, <laughs> and, uh, and we and we show up there. No, but yeah. the problem was we kept asking people in kilts and things yeah. what was going on, where you could get, you know, and there was no definite program or anything, and so we were kind of like, well, we don't know where to go, and and but you always seemed to have a mission. You know, you were on your way somewhere else. And I so know, we just thought, yeah. right, let's get on this train. <laughs> yeah. That, that, for a while, it was like, that Chris guy is really friendly. He's a great guy, but he's here again. Like, what is going on? Before we before we move on to discuss how that chance meeting in a urinal in New York led to me landing in Canada, you need to tell everyone the story about you landing on the bus at the, at the parade, Chris. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you see, the oh. thing is, Oh, well, okay. It's, well, not so, ad, it's not an advert for American security. It has to be... Has to be. No, no. As a, as a precursor, I would remind our listening audience that it was Maggie's birthday. Yeah. She was born on the anniversary of the declaration of our growth, and she had threatened me that if she didn't get to meet Sam Hewan, that there could be divorce papers being filed. So not I, true, not true. I will just give you a lead in. So we're we managed to get in the parade somehow, um, like on the the inside as opposed to watching from the outside. And so we're marching up the um, avenue of the Americas, and there are the two big London buses at the end of the of the route. And and I thought, oh, Sam Hewan's going to be on that bus. So Chris said, okay, you go peel off into that mosh pit of screaming women and I'll just finish the parade so it doesn't look like we're shallow and that we're only here for Sam. And uh, so I go into the mosh pit of women and it's raining. It was, if you remember, it was a pretty yeah. nasty, cold, yeah. rainy day. 
And um, anyway, and I'm standing in this mosh pit of women thinking this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I'm in an area of New York I've never been in. I've just told Chris to just go off and he doesn't know where I am and I don't know where he is. And I think, well, that might be the last we see of each other. But I thought I'll just continue taking photos of Sam until I'm looking and all these women are screaming. It's like a mini Beatlemania and Sam's on the bus and screaming back and, you know, throwing kisses and everybody's shouting, Sam, Sam, Sam. And then all of a sudden I look up and Chris is on the bus <laughs> on top of the bus. And, and there's only about seven people, including Sam and Chris on this bus. And, and I said, Oh my God. And one of the women beside me said, what? I said, my husband's on the bus. And I said, how did I get on the bus? Anyway, I'll let <clears> you <throat> go on about how you got on the bus. Then, well, for the record, this is one of my favorite stories ever. So we need to make sure. <laughs> So we've marched up, you know, the 10 blocks and Maggie peels off with a long lens to get some candid shots of <laughs> Sam Ewan from, you know, 200 metres away. And I did. They'll be available for distribution. <laughs> and uh, as we get to the bus, I, I basically said, sod this, why am I turning left? I'm dressed like a Scotsman, even though I'm a Geordie and I'm not really a Geordie, I'm a Wearsider, but it didn't matter. I'll just... I'll just go and stand by the bus with the security guy who was dressed like me in a Scots regalia anyway. And the security guy says, you look like a chancer. And I said, a chancer? He said, yeah, a chancer. He said, what do you want? I said, I want to be on the bus. And he said, go up. So I went up and I'm on the bus and I'm with Sam and it's cold and it's wet. And he pulls out a hip flask and says, have a toddy with me. And as we're looking out over the crowd, I hear all these people shouting, Chris, Chris, Chris. <laughs> and I look down and I see Maggie in this mosh pit of women of a certain age with umbrellas. And she looks startled and I wave her over. There's barriers around the bus. There's the line of New York cops sort of circumventing the periphery of barriers. And I shout down to the cops, get that woman on the bus. And they pick her up. And oh, no, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. They did not. Anyway, he, he beckons me forward and I'm like, I'm not going through this line of New York cops and and kilted people and what have you. And uh, and he's beckoning me over. Anyway, I get a bit closer and all of a sudden the cops part part their, you know, the cur curtain and let me underneath the barrier. And the next thing I know, I'm on the bus. So <laughs> Having a hug with and a kiss with with Mr. Sam Hewitt. Oh, we got it. I've got the photograph. It was the birthday present of a lifetime. It was. I got to say. Did you not end up getting in a car with him as well, though? Oh, well, there you go. So, so finally, he not only got on the first bus, but he got off with Sam and got on the second bus. Because... Oh, we were good mates by then. And uh, anyway, so. He's so he uh, after it's all sort of winding up, Sam gets off the bus to go and work the crowd and kiss babies and things like that. And so I'm standing a, a respectful uh, distance off with my long lens, taking some more shots of him and keeping my distance because there's security all over the place. And where he's obviously trying to sidle his way towards these black SUVs that are standing waiting to whisk him off to the barber barbary whatever yeah. or <laughs> and um 
And so I'm making my way, keeping my distance and I've got him in my lens and I hear, I'm right beside these black SUVs and I hear, get in the car. And it's Chris, I've got a great shot of Chris with his hand out reaching for me and he's half inside one of these black SUVs. Well, I was in Sam's SUV. <laughs> well, yeah. So <laughs> we're good buddies. And yeah. he's approaching and, and Chris is there and I thought, God, we're gonna be arrested. This is not how I want this to end. So, so. I'm, I, I'm on the inside said, get in the SUV, Maggie. Maggie, get in the SUV. <laughs> Maggie, come on, get in the SUV. We're going with Sam. And she's saying, get out of the SUV. <laughs> get out there. You're gonna, you're gonna be arrested. Just get out of it. So in the end, you know he can stalk people. Craig. I, I got out. <laughs> it's his specialty. I got out, and then we gate crashed the uh, the after, after party. party. So, yeah. and, and then you said, "How did you get into the after party? You weren't invited." That's a whole other story. <clears throat> I think I've heard that story. I don't know fifty times, and it's funny every single time. It's brilliant. Ali, had you heard that story before? I've never heard that. No, uh, that is brilliant. Although, like you say, it's not a good advertisement for security at events. Yeah. I don't think it would happen now with Sam. I think he was little known at that time, and now he's uh, forget <laughs> yeah. about it. <laughs> because because you'd given me your number. Yeah. I contacted you. He stopped you online when when you were back in Scotland, and you were confused because I'm Chris Brown, not the rapper. Yeah. But you happen to know six other Chris Browns. Yeah, this is, so this is what I was getting to. I, None of them the rappers. In the interim, I'd been teaching a guy, uh, a good friend of mine now, Jean-Michel, the bagpipes. Uh, and he was studying in Dundee at the time, but he was from Montreal. And he was heading back to Montreal. And there was a discussion about the idea of me doing a workshop with the Montreal Pipes and Drums as they were preparing for the North American Championships. And it, the, the kind of idea of it and all the... And, and whatnot was all in place except for the funding that w that was required to actually get me over there. Um, and I recall having been of all places in the pub before heading to a match at Dens Park. I was going to see Dundee play and there's a hill and I was walking down the hill from the pub towards the stadium and I get this text and I'm looking at it going, Chris Brown. Like I, know, I know a few Chris Browns, but that and then it clicked to me, like, obviously, every time I'd seen you, we'd all had a drink, and it was like a little while ago now, and, and whatnot, and I'd forgotten that I'd given you my number in the first place. And you were basically saying, how are you doing? You need to come out to Montreal. And I, and I said, well, I'm trying to. I've been asked to. I just need to find some, some funding. And, and lo and behold, between yourself and the, and the Montreal Pipes and Drums, it was all put in place for me to head over uh, in the summer of that year. So... I remember arriving into Canada because I landed into Montreal and, if you recall, went straight to the park to do a workshop with the Montreal Pipes and Drums. Never been to Canada and I was literally whisked to this park straight from the airport. And I, it was pretty warm that night and the park, there was a little like river lake thing runs. What was the name of the park? Oh, Park Londrignan Park. Londrignan Park. Uh, yeah, so there's the, there's water in that park, right? Well, the midges were out in force for sure. Like I was bitten to death on that first night in Canada, um, and to be honest, I was so like knackered and jet lagged that my my recollection of actually giving the workshop was somewhat limited. <laughs> However, what what I will say is that you know <clears throat> while I was grateful for the opportunity to work with a pipe band and to be involved in the in the North American Championships, I'd expressed to you that 
I really wanted to have the opportunity to play myself while I was in Canada. And so I remember you talking about a couple of bands, if I'm not mistaken, was one of them not bang on the bang on the ear or bang on the door? Or... Yeah, bang on the ear. Bang, bang on, on the ear. Bang on yeah. the ear and Mariner's Curse. Yeah, so bang on the ear was the one you'd mentioned initially, I think. And then out of the blue, we had this this notion of hooking up with the Mariner's Curse, whom obviously I knew nothing about, but as ever, I'm always open to collaborating with them um, with different people. And so following on from having coached the guys and sort of tuned the guys and led the Montreal Pipes and Drums into the North American Championships, I was to meet the Mariners Curse guys basically for the first time just before we were due on stage. Yeah, because basically they were opening that the Montreal, the uh, Glen Gary or Maxville Highland Games run from a Friday night right through a Saturday. And, uh, and then they close on the Saturday night and people move on to the Montreal games. But the Friday night is the big inaugural opening. And that's when they have a keynote band who takes the stage. And the keynote band that was taking the stage on that particular Friday night was Mariner's Curse mm. with uh, Jonathan Mormon as the fiddler. And we know Jonathan. And I said, we've, I said, Jonathan, I said, we've got a, Scott's buddy of ours coming over. He's working with the Montreal Pipe and Drums, but he wants to do some of his own stuff. And he can play the bagpipes as fast as you can fiddle a fiddle. And is there any... Jonathan was a little bit sort of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as if, what do we know about pipes and (laughs) and judging? And he said, so (laughs) bring him along, bring him along. And yeah, we'll, we'll give him a spot, we'll give him a spot. So after you got over the jet lag, you'd arrive on a Thursday night, you, you yeah. gave the, the Montreal Pipe and Drums a, a, a course in a mosquito-infested park in some godforsaken area of Montreal. And the next day, I took you on a whirlwind tour of Montreal, which included pierogies at the Stash Cafe in old Montreal, yeah. a few stops for brewskis. And we went with Maggie to the opening uh, of the games in Maxville, yeah. And Johnny had just said, oh, well, just just get Craig to me, you know, before the before the gig. And I introduced you to him behind the the show tent and you sat down with him. And I don't know how you, you figured out your play, your play set or what you were playing. But so first of all, when Chris had mentioned the idea of of going to Glengarry to the North American Pipe Band Championships, I don't think I'd appreciated the sheer scale of what was to be expected when we got there. So, like, the whole area that led towards um, Maxville just immediately felt Scottish, homely. Um, and then <clears throat> arriving... Yep. Can I jump in? I just want to say that the history of Maxville was that it was colonised by by Scots people... During the Highland During the Highland clearances, and that there were so many Scots who lived there, so many Max... Yep. that they decided to change the name to Maxville and they put an X. No, well, it was it was originally M-A-C-S, apparently, and then they changed it to M-A-X. Yeah, so you've actually, you've actually jumped in on my history lesson. You beat me to it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's, a very, um, it's a very good point that I was uh, going to raise as well. But I think arriving at Maxville uh, and where the games was taking place, I don't think I'd appreciated the sheer scale of how big this was. Like, it was like arriving at a kind of Scottish Glastonbury. Like, it was bigger than any 
any Highland Games or any major piping championship I've ever seen in Scotland. It really it blew my mind, first of all, is worth mentioning. I remember being introduced to Johnny straight away and thinking, this guy is literally Jack Sparrow from the Pirates of the Caribbean. Like this guy, <laughs> this guy is Johnny Depp channeling like Jack Sparrow, a hundred percent. And I, I wasn't sure how we were going to get along, but I remember sitting outside in the grass with him and we jammed out a few pieces and it was like, yeah, let's do this. Let's see how this goes. When, when you'd sort of hooked up the gig, I wasn't anticipating the sheer scale of the crowd there that night because there must have been, I don't know. Thousands. Yeah, like, th- thousands. like I don't know. I, I want to say about six, 7,000 people, maybe more, in that, in that tent. Um, and it was rammed with people who were drunk out their skulls. We were, if I'm not mistaken, we were on stage at like 1 a.m., so late on, and I was still trying to get over the jet lag, but also was blown away by the sheer scale of the madness that was all kicking off around me. I think you could, if you look back at the pictures and the, the, the footage, if there is any, of like Johnny and I bouncing about that stage, you could feel that there was a connection between us musically, which was really nice. And so we had our fair share of drinks and we and I'm pretty sure we headed off before the, the band were even done because I was so I was You so were comatose. Yeah. <laughs> well not not through not through the walking dead. I don't think I was comatose through alcohol on that occasion. It was just I was so knackered from the whole uh, jet lag. From there, uh, the following day was obviously the games the, 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 the North American championships themselves. So I arrived though, ready to to tune the guys and get them set for the for their competition. And I remember remember bumping into Johnny, and the guy had stolen his tent. The guy had jumped in his tent. That's right, needs Johnny Johnny finished the gig at three in the morning, and he he'd set his tent up on the grounds. And when he got there, he found a drunk Scotsman not only in his tent but in his sleeping bag. <laughs> And I think he he broke his toe, giving him a kick. And I remember how much and, he was bubbling about all weekend. That's right. And then he, the right next to his tent was pitched the uh, Canadian Armed Forces tug of war team, uh, <laughs> which are just all really burly kind of muscle bound squatties who wondered what the ruckus was all about. And it was Johnny jumping up and down with his broken toe. And they said, hey, you're needing some help, sir. And he said, there's a man in my tent and he's in my sleeping bag. And they said, we'll deal with him. Now, these guys are used to pulling like 3,000 pounds of humanity <laughs> of other... on the end of a rope. Yeah. So they whipped this guy out like he was a... <laughs> a feather flick and the last thing they saw of him he was running into the woods anyway (laughs) that was the night before and during the day you had to you know do your your official function with you yeah so ali like you can just like if if ever we're at a festival with the band uh, and someone's in our tent we just have to we just have to pray and hope that you know the country's military tug of war team (laughs) Or like in the tent next door. Yeah, they'll they'll save us because nobody else will. <laughs> I'm going to um, just interject, and I just found out that uh, the crowds at um, the Glengarry Games are usually around twenty five thousand um, at the games. So I mean, I don't think they were all in the tent. We but weren't all in the tent. A lot. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, there were a hell of a lot of people. Maybe we might we might even be underestimating by saying six thousand. It might be close. Well, to that was on Wikipedia, so there you go. It's, it was it was absolutely bedlam. It was carnage. <laughs> um, so the, the the following day was the actual the games themselves, and obviously the, to see the, the the different pipe bands from all over North America was was a real joy. Uh, it was a great thing. Um, obviously, cheering up the guys, and <clears throat> they didn't have the greatest of runs on the Saturday, if I remember. Um, there were a few things that, that that went awry, but the opportunity to well to be there with Jean Michel, my friend, and and to engage again with <clears throat> um, Jeremy as well was, was was absolutely brilliant. Was it that night that we then went on to play at Harley's? That night, yeah. Johnny Johnny had said, look, look, man, uh, we're <laughs> going to be playing at Hurley's tomorrow night. Would you like to join us? And you said, what the hell's Hurley's? And I said, well, <laughs> Hurley's is down in Montreal. It's on Crescent Street. It's like, you know, the place that people go in Montreal on a Saturday night, especially for Celtic music you've got to go. So he yeah. invited you to go down and play and Jean-Michel took you down there and we abandoned you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, it was a crazy gig. Another one that was absolutely roasting hot. And I remember that it was packed, like it was absolutely rammed. And they, they certainly were not expecting, like the crowd was certainly not expecting a piper to turn up and play with the guys. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And, I, and to this day, I really love Harley's. It's a great venue and it's a great, as you say, it's a place where um, if you want to hear live music, if you want to hear Celtic music on a Saturday night, it's right in the heart of the city. It's right. You've told me this a few times. It's right on the the Formula One track, right? Well, it's not on the track, but it's on it's on Crescent Street, which is where it's the hub of the Formula One activities ah. for the pre on on the week of the Formula One race, which takes place on the yeah. on the Formula One track on. Uh, on they usually Helens got Island. the. They've usually got the cars parked up the up Crescent Street and things like that. It, it was one of these events. I suppose both of the both of the gigs that I did with the Mariners Curse uh, on that first trip to Canada felt um, they were a lot of fun, and we obviously connected on a great level to the point that we wanted to do something again in future. But what was unique about those was that it was very much a jam. Like the, it was not a, a well-oiled, well-rehearsed machine by any means. It was pretty slapdash, but still a hell of a lot of fun what, what do you guys remember about the gigs like what i do remember was that because of hurley's because of mariner's curse because of what had happened at the games jonathan said you know we've got to get this lad back again and do something bigger next year and that's when a certain seed for what was going to happen in 2017 was planted yeah and also what i do remember is that you were so gobsmacked by the size of the Highland Games and the, the fact that the road to Maxville was called Highland Road. I said, it's called Highland Road. And you said, God, it's not called Highland Road. I said, yeah, look, that's the sign, <laughs> Highland Road. And you said to me, Chris, can you write me a song? Because you knew I wrote poetry. And you said, can you write me a song? And I said, well, yeah, what's it called? What's it about? And he said, well, it's about Scotland and it's about how good things happen there. And it's sort of primordial and it's under the earth and it's about creativity. It's about artistry. It's about, you know, origins. And it's going to be called Highland Road. He said it's got to be for two voices. And then you took a plane yeah. and you went away. I think probably a few weeks afterwards, yeah. I had a bit of time on my hands. So I drove back to Maxville 
to the fields that had been had 25,000 inebriated Scots folk in them a few weeks before, and they were empty. There was like nothing there, no sign of any games or gilts or sporans or the peel of the pipes or anything. It was just a big empty space. And I sat down in the field. It was a beautiful morning. And, and I wrote out some lyrics and I thought, oh, they're interesting. I think I can phone Craig. He's just started a new job. And I phoned you for, and you said, what are you doing, Chris? I said, I'm sitting in a field in Maxville. Yeah. I said, have you got time to listen to a poem? And he said, well, I'm in between breaks between my classes, with the kids. So or you're wrapping up or something. And I read it to you and you said, oh, that sounds all right. I'll figure something out. Can you send it to me? <laughs> to, to backtrack a little bit, yeah. We were so far, I was so far away from home. And yet this place, with all the buzz of the games, with the North American Championships, with all these kilts, with all the, that feeling about the Scottish traditions, etc. I felt really inspired by the fact that I was so far away from home, but it just felt like being at home. The road that led there was called the Highland Road. It just kind of blew my mind, the whole, the whole Highland Road, Macville, Maxville, the whole, the whole situation. And it was at a point in my life where I felt that I didn't have the capacity to write lyrics. And we'd obviously bonded quite a bit over your prowess as a lyricist, as a wordsmith, as a raconteur, if you will. And I remember feeling, yeah, let's try to do something that marks, that captures this sort of feeling of inspiration, of excitement, etc. And I remember talking to you and saying, let's have something that captures the essence of Scotland that can be celebrated almost all over the world. And then obviously, as you say, you, so that was, the, the games are the first weekend in August. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. And I, I do remember very well, like we've said on the podcast a couple of times, my day job is as a teacher. I had not long started my career as a teacher. I was either on my lunch or finishing up at the end of the day and got the call. And there you were on the phone with your with your poem. And I thought instantly, I thought that is absolutely brilliant. That that sounds great. But as you'd said, my notion was to do <clears throat> was to use two voices. And the idea was that it was to be me and Ross and that we'd sort of recite the poem back and forth to one another as, as two voices. But when I put the idea to Ross, Ross was very much of the opinion that, that, the, that the idea didn't fit Gliadra. And that's where the first fruits of a new project had come from and the notion of starting the Kabbalistic Cavalry. I'd like to point out actually at this point that Ross, I think, has since realised his mistake with the Highland Road because Highland Road is now very much played in a Gliadric set as well as a Kabbalistic Cavalry set. So I think I win on that one. <clears throat> However, I do remember like the conversations about the Highland Road and how much it excited me at the time. And I think we made a few tweaks to it. We sent a few emails back and forth. We, we tweaked it a little bit here and there. And then instantly this melody um, had, had come to me and I thought this this has a real really nice potential to to work out as a good piece. So fast forward like maybe three or four weeks, and I was on holiday. I was in Turkey uh, with my ex girlfriend. We were in a nice resort in the sunshine in Kusadasi, and I and then I had the thought that that we could kind of chop up the poem so that different people could contribute a line each, and so that and maybe we could get some people that I've played with over the years or or kind of celebrity people, or even friends that, that I know that could contribute some different lines to it. And so I literally, for the next two days, consumed myself on a lounger in Kusadasi in Turkey, emailing, texting all sorts of different people. 
so I'm gonna I'm gonna just read the list of people that we have on this on this song in the end. So it starts off with yours truly, uh, and then we've got Jai McDowell, who's obviously now been on the podcast. Fred McCauley jumps in. We've got my friend Matt Hickman, who performs under the guise of Brown Bear. Kyle Faulkner. We have Kerr Oaken, who is the frontman of the Laugh on Tains. Jed Grimes, who we're hoping is going to be on a future episode of the podcast, ex-member of Danny Wilson and current Simple Minds. Then, then it gets interesting because we've got Lorraine Kelly, who, to be fair, has been a great supporter over the years. Alan Cummin, Mark Evans of ACDC, uh, Nicky McDonald from uh, the X Factor fame, Debbie Deluxe, don't know how that one happened, but it happened. John Hassel from the Libertines and his partner Lene, who is also uh, who actually works as a as a poet herself. And and then there's some interesting ones that maybe are less well known, but ones that I thought had really good voices that could lend themselves to the poem and that in their inclusion in the in the song might help to promote them too. So Alice Mara, Marla Kavanaugh from the from the Highland Divas, Alan Alan Merrill of the Arrows, uh, Little Fire, Jamie McGeechan, uh, Les McEwen of the Basic Rollers, and then we finish up with Brian May, um, who needs no introduction. Before it, uh, later on in the track, we have Peter Doherty of the Libertines and his partner Katia Davidas. It's a hell of a list of different people, um, and it obviously involved a lot of coordinating emails and messages back and forth. And obviously, there were some who we didn't get. Donnie Monroe, he didn't want to be part of it. Ricky Wilson of the Kaiser Chiefs. And our good friend, the late Alan Longmuir of the Basic Rose as well, decided he was too shy to have his voice included in a kind of spoken word piece. Before I say anything else, we really need to mention the very, very sad passing of Alan Merrill of the Arrows. For those of you who um, don't know Alan, Alan um, wrote the song, I Love Rock and Roll. Obviously, it's an iconic piece. I met Alan the first time that I was in New York. Um, in fact, the first gig that I ever played in the US was um, supporting Alan Merrill. And over the years, got to know him pretty well. He was all too keen to lend himself to the track. And recently, I had gone to message him to ask him about guesting on the podcast, only to find out that very, very sadly and tragically, he had passed with COVID um, earlier on last year. So shout to Alan Merrill and his family. Of course. Um, but obviously, that's a great list of people. I guess that's where we decided, or I guess that's where the Highland Road exploded on so many different levels. Obviously, my impression when I heard the poem first was, wow, this is really powerful. This is going to work out really, really nicely. But then when I sent you the music and the track and the and all of it pieced together, what was your initial reaction? Uh, we're pretty gobsmacked <laughs> for, a, for an idea that happened in a field with a notion of, pretty vague notion of, you know, a couple of voices and it's going to start softly with the piano and the two voices reciting a poem and then it'll, you know, explode into something a little bit more jubilant and expansive to actually hear that initial recording with this plethora of megastars, really. They're all known names. You know, Maggie and I work in theatre primarily and, uh, you know, the fact that you got Alan Cummings in there it's just like Alan Cummings is you know, speaking my words you know and all of the rest it was just Alan Cummings you know and a field of gold I can't even remember my own words now but anyway I think what it what it did for me was really you know we've got to continue this journey this kind of creative journey in some some other way shape or form because, you know, for me at that point in time, you know, I 
been writing poems, but they were just really my poems. But he was an opportunity of collaboration uh, as a lyricist uh, yeah. with a, a musician and finding, a, you know, a different audience and a different collaboration and a, and a joint creative venture, which I hadn't really thought about in the past. So when I talk about the what ifs in life, the Doctor Who's and the Diana Gabaldon's, and it's just like, in, in actual fact, the last four years of my life from 2016 to now have been very much shaped by that what, what if factor. <laughs> and, you know, the notion that one, you know, that I've got people like you who I can collaborate with, Johnny, you know, I've written stuff for Mariner's Curse. Yeah. Georgia of the Highland Divas, who lives in Boston. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's opened up a whole kind of creative avenue for myself, who, you know, I'm a set designer. I work in theatre, you know. That's all I've ever done. But when I I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, but I still needed to remain creative. And, it, and, and that's what it did for me. It sort of opened up new avenues to explore and new kind of creative ventures and uh, I'm loving it and it wouldn't ha wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for for Doctor Who. <laughs> for <laughs> it was an interesting one because like like that when we when we so we recorded it um, at Seagate Studios with Graham Watt, great, um, who, who he's, he's excellent in the, as, a, as a producer. Uh, he also was so excited about having all these voices. But the thing with all the voices is that they'd all come from different places. Some of them I put a, a voice recorder in front of their mouths. Some of them were recorded in professional studios. Some of them were recorded backstage at festivals. Um, I think Mark Evans, you can hear the slight buzz of the crowd behind. Um, so like it wasn't it's not a perfect recording by any means Kyle Faulkner's was recorded on a ferry in the noon there's a whole range of like qualities in terms of the recordings I do remember though it was it's a great obviously honor and privilege to ha have contact with all these people but I remember Brian May's initial response to to it and that was that if we were to include his voice on anything I was going to have to be in touch with the record label and I was like, oh, this is going to be funky. Like, this is this is where it's all going to kind of get ripped apart. Like, the, the notion of having Brian May on on my our track. But sure enough, it was, it was Jim Beach who I was emailing. If you've seen the Bohemian Rhapsody film, he he's a ma he plays a massive role in the in the legacy of Queen. He effectively was the, their management right through. And I'm sitting emailing Jim Beach about the notion. <laughs> of including the line, you and I will know it when we walk the Highland Road on our track. I'm thinking, this is, this is nuts. And in the end, we, he, he required um, a contract, a, a release form be signed so that the record label could have that on their file. So I have, I have uh, in my house here um, a, a contract that I had that made up for Brian May that says I, and he had to write his name in block capitals, Brian May, consent to my voice reciting the line you and i will know it when we walk the highland road being used and being released by craig weir and the cabalistic cavalry on whatever date signed brian may which is it's just nuts the fact the fact that we needed that contract is insane but it's also a very nice souvenir of that as well, you know. You know, do you know what actually, Ben? I can't remember where we were, but we were doing a gig somewhere round about the time that the whole planning of Highland Road was coming out. And I remember just before the gig was starting, you turned to me and said, Do you know I've got Brian May's email address? 
And I'm, <laughs> it was A, the most random thing ever you've ever said to me, I think. And B, straight away, I went, wait, what? And you said, oh, yeah, I'm in contact with Chris. Highland, blah, blah, blah. And I went, prove it. And you went, okay, and got your phone out. And here's Brian May's email and everything he was saying to you about Highland Road and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's quite cool. I'll give you that one. Yeah. I'm really hoping that I didn't say to you, hear me. Do you know I've got Brian, email, Brian May's email address? Because that's not very nonchalant, it has to be said. I think I think you had a few drinks in you again. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that, that, maybe maybe that explains it. Yeah. Um, obviously, Highland Road. I think to this day is probably one of the pieces that I'm most proud of um, having written, co-written, released. I think it's um, I think it's one that is an, a lovely anthem for Scotland uh, and and shows Scotland's kind of prowess around the world. Initially, when it came out quite a lot of people were asking me, is it a pro-independence anthem? And absolutely, it is not. Like it's a, When I tell people that the Highland Road um, is about um, a street, a road in Canada, they don't believe me. It blows people's minds, but it blows my mind massively that that is the case too. Obviously, from there, like from that first experience in, in Canada, as we've expressed, we all knew we had to do something else. Like it was not okay just to leave it as a couple of impromptu half jammed sort of gigs if you want to call them that and um, that's where we had the idea obviously of the concept of the stowaway creating this kind of stage production if you will a concept show and um, based upon the notion of me being the stowaway traveling moving home up and up in sticks and moving over to, to north america but then struggling to cope with the changing lifestyle and we're going to talk in great depth next time because we are going to get you back on for another episode or two. But where, how did that originally form? Where, where did that, because that, that came from you as well, didn't it? Well, we'd spoken with Johnny and uh, I'd been sort of playing around with uh, the notion of uh, a poem about a stowaway. And we'd been playing around with the notion of sort of doing a musical story a compilation or, or, or I guess a, a concert that involved you with the Mariner's Curse. Johnny said, we've got to do something that's, you know, that gets Craig involved with this and it's going to be more expansive. It should tell a story. And I, and the notion that you'd sort of come over here a bit like a stowaway, a bit sort of reflective of the Highland clearances and the Scots coming over to the new world or whether it's the antipodes or australia new zealand or north america to seek out a new life was the sort of the, the nucleus of the, i guess the creative nucleus of of that notion and it was based and you were the stowaway you were the guy who had to leave your homeland take the voyage and arrive with all the um the trials and the tribulations and the uh the struggles of 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 being in, in in the new world, much the same way as as the uh, the Highland the Highlanders had, you know, in during the period of the high, Highland yep. clearances. Obviously, the this the idea of the stowaway was great, and it was one that really connected with me and uh, and also Johnny. Uh, and obviously, we're going to talk about that in um, in the next episode that we get you guys on for. One thing that blew my mind that I remember really well, well actually, first of all, I found your you guys home out in the countryside to be so inspiring creatively. I think the fact that you're out in the countryside, you've got this beautiful pool at the back. And every time that I'm with you guys, it's really sunny and beautiful. It's a really nice creative space to, to find new ideas in. But one thing that blew my mind, 
um, when I was over there, was sitting down to dinner with you guys one evening um, on that first trip that I'd ever had in Canada. And you telling me that you had an Oscar sitting upstairs. And I was like, what the hell? Uh, and suddenly I was being handed an Oscar and getting my picture taken with an Oscar. Why do we have an Oscar inside a sock in, um, in a drawer? <laughs> Now, now we, now everybody knows that we're going to have to move it. But that is because my mother, Eunice McCauley, um, is was a film animator and producer, and she worked at the National Film Board of Canada, and she was involved with um, on a film called Special Delivery, a, a short animated film with a, a colleague of hers, and in 1979. I think. 78. 78. Oops, sorry. Um, she was absolutely floored to find out she they'd been nominated for an Academy Award. And I was gobsmacked because I had gone into acting and I thought I was going to get the Academy Award, but <laughs> didn't turn out that <laughs> So she, uh, they went down to Los Angeles never expecting to win because it's a very strange little film it's the it's the best <clears throat> animated short that's the category and it's uh supposedly the first uh full frontal male nudity in an animated film but i'm not sure that's true so but anyway um and so they went down to the academy awards and we were all watching from my our little house off in quebec somewhere and uh and they won and the house oh. shook. <laughs> it was like we were having a party. In the, um, my mum has uh, sadly passed on, but um, we are the keeper of the Oscar. In, I might add, a Scots sock. Aye, it's a, <laughs> it's a it's fluffy, a, fluffy white sock. Because it's the only <laughs> thing that can contain a, you know, 200 pound solid gold Oscar. Yeah, I have to say, when I was sat down to eat my spaghetti bolognese with you guys, which was amazing, um, I wasn't expecting to be joined by Oscar at the table. It, has been <laughs> um, it was a pretty cool moment and definitely one of the highlights, weirdly, one of the highlights of my first time in Canada. But obviously, as we said, we're going to get you guys on again to talk about um, how the idea evolved, how it became the stowaway, and uh, all the scandal that came with them, um, the, essentially the two little road trip tours that we've had in promoting the stowaway and where we can hopefully go with it next. But thank you very much, guys, for coming on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and catch up with you. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. Cheers. Well, Very good. As the serpent Dundee, Slangevar, happy holiday.